We provide wisdom for personal growth and healthy relationships. Stick with us and you'll gain practical tools and insights that will help you be a healthier and happier you. Today we're going to be talking about recovering from an affair. Now this is going to be a 10,000 foot view of what recovering from an affair looks like. And so it's going to be general guidelines, do's and don'ts to try to work through an affair. Now, one thing I want to start off with is a little bit of a story to give you some hope, because if you have just found yourself in an affair or you've just found out your partner has been having an affair, it can feel like a hopeless place. It can feel like there's no getting past this. There's no recovery at the other end of this. And so this story starts off when I was a pretty young counselor. I'd only had probably three or four years, not even that much. Maybe it was even only two years of counseling. I was working with this guy. He had come in. He was in a really dire strait. His wife had basically left him, had a live-in boyfriend. His children no longer wanted to talk to him. They wanted nothing to do with him at this point. And he came in and he wanted to try to reconcile his relationship with his spouse. At that point, when he came in telling me his goals and everything like that, I remember thinking internally, he has no hope. There is no way, based on the situation he's describing that he's in right now, that he's going to have a happy outcome at the end of this. But I decided I was going to give it a good try with him. And if he was going to work, I was going to try to help him as much as I possibly could. And so we got into it and we really started working and he ended up being very teachable. He listened well, he followed directions, and he started slowly but surely making progress. And eventually there was this breaking point where his wife broke off her relationship with her live-in boyfriend and then they started uh, working on reconciling and then his relationship with his kids improved. And when we had first started, I gave this guy no hope in my mind that he could get through there. So his therapist didn't even believe he could do it. But this guy was willing to do the work, and he ended up getting a fantastic result. I remember even three years after we had completed therapy and him and his wife were reconciled and he was back in the house, I got a text message from him just thanking me and letting me know that things were still going well. And this is a relationship by every metric you can think of. They should not have made it. And so no matter how difficult the situation is that you're in right now, if you're the only one who wants to reconcile and your partner doesn't, there's still hope for you. As a matter of fact, I didn't even meet his wife until after they had already reconciled. She was not a part of the counseling process at all until the very, very end. And I think it was just a session or two. And that's such an exciting thing to hear to, to give hope because... It does often feel so hopeless, and that's where we're going to start. We're going to look at where each person starts when the affair comes out. And like Tim said, we're just going to talk about generalities today. You might have a different circumstance, and everyone has different situations and things that you will throw in that will change the situation a little bit, but we're just going to look at an overview of things. So when the affair comes out, they're at different places. The person that has been having the affair has had time to process. They've had knowledge of this and they've been doing this. Whether it's just a one-time thing or over the course of months or years, they've been in this process of trying to figure out, trying to reconcile what's happening, what am I doing. A lot of that burden is in the secrecy and the hiding of the affair. However, the partner that's been betrayed and has just found out about this they are in a totally different spot. They have just found this out and they feel like they are now at rock bottom. And so they are discovering this, whether through an email, whether like a phone bill that they've seen through friends that maybe saw them out and about, but they're just finding out about this. And this just feels like a bomb was dropped on them where the person that has been having an affair 
because a lot of the emotional burden happens in the secrecy and the hiding and the fear of it coming out and the guilt that they've been having, once it comes out, there's almost a sense of relief. They're at a place where if they truly want to keep their marriage, they're ready to work on it because they've processed this over the course of, you know, whatever time period it was. And so they're just ready to jump in and say, okay, what can we do to fix this and move forward? Whereas the person that's been betrayed really needs that time to process things and grieve. And you can hit up against this wall where this person really wants to move forward and this other person is like, wait, but tell me all these things or what happened. And they're trying to grasp the situation and they are at these different places. And this can lead into this next idea of what we call guilt fatigue and betrayal trauma. Now, these two terms are the opposite side of basically the same coin. So when an affair happens, guilt fatigue and betrayal trauma always tend to go hand in hand. Betrayal trauma is the person who finds out about the affair, finds out that they have been getting cheated on. And they're going to have overwhelming emotional reactions and responses to this. And basically, they end up with symptoms like post-traumatic stress disorder, high levels of anxiety, hypervigilance, meaning they're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. They're always expecting something bad to happen then after that. And because of that, they tend to be very emotionally chaotic and unpredictable. And a lot of times they can do pretty nasty or hurtful things to the person who had the affair because they're just running on emotion. They're operating in basically their fight or flight centers of their brain. And they're not really thinking a whole lot about how their actions or behaviors are affecting their partner, and especially because they've been so wounded, it does kind of give them a feeling or a sense of having a little bit of a get-out-of-jail-free card. And so because you've hurt me so bad, I can do or say just about anything, and I feel justified in doing that. That betrayal trauma is a really tough emotional spot to be in for the person who discovers it. Now, the other side of this coin is that guilt fatigue. Now, guilt fatigue is basically this idea of when, when the affair first comes out, the majority of people who are discovered cheating will be very contrite and remorseful and feel guilty, and they want to do things to try to reconcile or to save the relationship. And so they really start a lot of times actively working or trying to do just about anything that they can. But at a certain point, when the person who has that betrayal trauma has been laying into them for week after week, sometimes it goes into month after month, the person who had the affair ends up losing that feeling of guilt because they feel like I have paid enough for this thing that I've done. How much longer are you just going to berate me and attack me and come after me? And so eventually they just stop caring or they stop feeling remorseful. And then they have a tendency not to respond very kindly to the person that they cheated on anymore, their spouse, because they're just like, well, this is just never ending. So if you're going to keep treating me this way, I'm not going to just take it anymore. I'm going to fight back where before they may have not been fighting you very much. These two things are very difficult to balance, where it's definitely very understandable that the person who was betrayed, that they're going to be so hurt and they're going to, to a certain degree, want a little bit of revenge or not even necessarily be able to fully control their emotions and behaviors when they find out about it. But then this other part where it's like, yeah, they did wrong, but at what point have they then paid enough so that then they can move on? And a major part of the problem is that it's based on feelings, right? It's not like there's a logical point where it's like, okay, you have paid enough and now it's done. Now I'm going to give this up and I'm not going to feel this way anymore. It's more just this is how I'm feeling and I should be able to do this until I don't feel that way anymore. 
that's not the greatest way to go about it. And so it's really difficult to manage these two things, this betrayal trauma and this guilt fatigue. It really is a very difficult balancing act that you have to do. So as you can see, at this point, there are a lot of emotions going on. And one of the things you want to be careful of is who you tell. Now, by no means am I saying keep this secret for your partner and hold this. But I do want to warn you that you need to be careful of who you tell. Because a lot of times what happens is this comes out or they find out about this. And the person that was betrayed wants to just blast the other person and allow them to feel the weight of the humiliation that they felt. And so they tell family and friends, maybe they even post it on social media. There's a lot of just reacting to the issue and what's just come out and what's just come to light rather than responding. And there's a big difference between reacting and responding. And this reaction will be this very emotional thing, but you have to know that whoever you tell, you cannot take that back. And so, like I said before, we're not trying to hold the secret and don't tell anyone and you have to bear the weight of it yourself, but be very careful with who you choose to tell. And because of the weight of the emotions, it's so easy just to react and do all of these things that later, oftentimes, people regret. A lot of times, people will blast them even to their children. They'll come home and say, do you know what your father did? Do you know what your mother did? And they'll share way too much. And that's a lot for a child, a teenager to hold. And so I would just caution you to wait a minute to sit on it, maybe have a confrontation with your spouse, or maybe find a trusted friend, talk through a little bit. But know that if you go and you tell parents and aunts and uncles and cousins, then when you are at the point where you have reconciled with your spouse, Maybe a year or two later, you start going to these family events, you go to Christmas together and Thanksgiving, and you guys are at a solid place and you really work through it, but they have not, they have not gotten the chance to work through it with your spouse, right? And so they begin to treat your spouse with this disdain or this resentment. And it's all in the sense of honor for you, right? I'm going to, I'm protecting you. I'm on your side, but that doesn't help your marriage. And so you need to be very careful of who you tell. I've even had clients who the family members refused to let the spouse who cheated come to family events then after that, which then hurts the person who was cheated on further because now they're kind of being forced to choose between now their spouse or their family members who still kind of hate their spouse for cheating. And so just like Ruth was saying, you really want to be careful. You want to keep that circle of people who know about it relatively small and to highly trusted people who are not necessarily going to run around and blab your business to everybody else. And again, reemphasizing what Ruth said, we're not trying to tell you to keep this a secret from everybody, but only tell people who will be beneficial for you to tell so that if you do end up reconciling, you then don't have to go about the difficult business of trying to reconcile with the entire family. Now, going along with that kind of hand in hand with being careful who you tell, you also need to be careful who you seek advice from. And so when you just go and you talk to people and you say, hey, my partner cheated, a lot of people are going to tell you to do things that will just make you feel good, right? Oh, just dump them, get a divorce, like, find somebody new or something along those lines. And they're trying to give you that advice because they don't want to see you hurt. 
They want to see you be able to exit away from that pain as quickly as possible. But exiting from that pain as quickly as you can isn't necessarily going to give you the outcome that you want. If the outcome you want is reconciliation, even in the point of deep pain, or you're not sure what you even want in that moment, you don't want to hear people telling you to get out, get out, get out, because you'll hear that a lot. Once a cheater, always a cheater, that kind of a thing. And so they basically make it easy for you to make a decision to leave. But then a lot of times people won't sit down and say, hey, listen, I know, I know this is tough, but really just take a moment and think and then consider whether or not you want to leave. Because that's not as fun to say. It's not as feeling of supporting the other person when you say stuff like that because they're assuming you would want to leave because they would think, I want to leave in that situation. And so being very careful who you seek advice from, even people who've been through affairs before and maybe reconciled, I would caution you about going and seeking advice from them just because they've made it through to the other end does not mean that they have done it in a healthy way. I've definitely seen people or I've known people in my own life who they had uh, an affair, somebody had an affair in the relationship decades ago, but because they didn't actually appropriately deal with it, they end up getting a divorce 10, 20 years later because they're still resentful and they never really actually handled it well. So just because someone's still together now after an affair does not mean that they are a good person to seek advisement from. And just know that this is a really long process. There's going to be a lot of ups and downs. So I want to just briefly touch on grief stages. And we're going to have a podcast about this in the future where we talk about stages of grief and grief waves. And just know that this is a really long process. There's going to be a lot of ups and downs. And so I want to touch on it just briefly today, the stages of grief. We're going to have a whole podcast where we talk about the grief stages and we go more in depth because there's a lot there. But I do want to touch on it today. And a lot of people, when they think about grief, they think about grieving because of death. They've lost someone. But we really go through this grieving process in different levels and different ways and different weights based on any kind of loss. So when you look at what you've lost in your relationship when an affair comes out, there's a lot there. So just for example, loss of safety, loss of security, loss of trust in your relationship. Maybe a loss of expectations, even a loss of ideal of what you thought your marriage would look like. I, I never thought five years or ten years in my marriage that this is where we would be, right? So it's this loss of an ideal. And so I'm going to go through the stages of grief. I like to call them the grief waves because they really feel like waves hitting you. Initially, there's a lot of waves, right, that come one after other. They feel big, like just tidal waves where you can't even come up for air. But our hopes is that over time, the waves will space out and you'll have time to come up for air and be less and less intense. And so when we look at the stages of grief, there's a lot of different models that you can look at. I'm going to just use a very simple one. It's a five-stage model by Kubler-Ross. And the first one is denial. So I like to add on denial or shock because it's not always this true denial, right? This did not happen. I cannot believe it. But it's a lot of times this shock, like, are you serious? Did you really just cheat on me? The next one is anger, and I add on frustration. And this could be anger at the person that cheated on you, anger at maybe your friend that knew and never told you, anger at your spouse. And it could even be anger at yourself or frustration at yourself, which then leads into the next step or next stage, which is bargaining. And bargaining as kids is exactly that. You're bargaining. If dad comes home, I will be the best student ever. Or I promise I'm going to clean my room every single day. But bargaining as adults looks a little bit more 
Like, what if, if only, if only he never met this person? What if we had a better relationship? What if I had known sooner? And a lot of times that, and a lot of times that anger you feel toward yourself comes out in this bargaining stage as far as what if I had done this or what if I had known? The next stage is depression. And it's not always this clinical level of depression. So I add on sadness, depression or sadness where you are just sad. And when we think about grief, a lot of times this is a stage that people automatically go to or they automatically think and relate and associate to grieving is the sadness and depression. And the final stage is acceptance. And it's not acceptance that this is a good thing or this happened for a reason, right? People will say really stupid things when you go through the loss of anything. But it's not this idea that everything happens for a reason. This is a good thing for your marriage. But it just is acceptance that this is where you're at. Your marriage has now had a breach of trust. There's been some betrayal. And this is where we're at. What are we going to do from here? And just accepting the place that it's at. So the thing with grief is that I wish it was right stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four, stage five, and you are done. You've accepted it. You're moving on together. But like waves, they kind of ebb and flow. They come in, they hit you hard. Maybe you're at denial and you're like, what are you serious? This happened. And then you're super sad. Then you go back to anger and then you're sad again. Then you do all the what ifs. What if this, if only this, and then you're sad again and you go back up to, gosh, I cannot believe this happened. And then you're to acceptance and you feel good and you feel like, you know what, this is going to work. My marriage is going to work. We're going to make it work. And then you go back to being angry again. And so it really is a process that comes and goes and you have days where you are so hopeful for your marriage and you want to stick it out. And then there's days where you're like, this isn't even worth it. Let's file the paper papers today. And another part of grief is knowing that you're going to have triggers throughout the year. So it isn't just one year passes and you're good. When that year anniversary hits of when you found out about the affair, you're going to feel a whole wave of emotion then. And so you have to look at the different things that are going to trigger you. The birthdays, the anniversaries, the things that you found out on maybe this specific day. Maybe on Father's Day is when you found out about the affair. Or maybe June 21st like a random date you found out, but in your mind, it's solidified and you remember that day. So these are things that are going to come up throughout the year that will really just trigger you. So understanding the stages of grief will help you and just know that it is going to come. You are going to have good days and bad days. And really knowing that this process is a long and difficult process and it's not easy, but it is worth it if you can get to the other side. And so just like Ruth was saying, this is a long process. And the last thing you want to do is restart this process. Now, a way that the person who had the affair can tend to restart this process is by trickling out of information. And so when the affair comes out, I understand that you're terrified that if your partner knows anything more about this affair, that they will leave you and they will be done. But let me tell you, this is a fatal mistake people make all the time. They think, I want to mitigate the damage, but they end up causing more damage because of what I talked about earlier, that hypervigilance. The person who is cheated on is going to be constantly looking around and searching for things. They will find out. Just trust me. They will find out the things you don't think they will find out because they will look and be nosy in ways you can't imagine. And they will find things that you forgot are a part of the story 
and them finding out any additional information that you have not freely given them at the point when they found out about the affair or you just sitting down saying, hey, by the way, I want to let you know there's some additional things that you should know. When they find that out on their own, they're going to restart that grief wave process. And on top of it, it tends to be more difficult because they're more emotionally exhausted at that point, having already struggled through the grief stages and then essentially restarting it by finding out this new information. It's like a new point of betrayal. And so if it keeps going on where they keep getting this trickle out of new information and new information and new information, it really makes things worse and much more difficult. So if you've done all this work to get through those grief stages and your partner's been doing this work to get through those grief stages, please make sure that they're not going to find out any additional information by coming clean. That's the way. Not trying to hide more, but coming clean with any additional stuff that they could possibly find out about the affair. Because otherwise, they're often just waiting for the next bomb to drop. If they've seen like just this trickle of information, they're waiting for more information to come out. I know there's more. I know he's not telling me everything because that's the experience that they've had with you. And so really being able to trust that I have told you everything. It's not always helpful to go into specific details. There are instances and specific situations where that needs to be said and there needs to be some details, but we're not talking about telling them every single detail, every single place you went we're talking about in general, if there are secrets that you're holding and you know, like, okay, I've told her this, but I'm gonna, I'm not going to say this part. Those are the bombs that they're waiting to drop on them. And they just feel like there's something else or something more. There's something co coming. And even if there is nothing more, they already have that heightened sense and that hypervigilance that Tim was talking about. So it's better to drop it all at once and see what's there and you begin to rebuild the pieces because it's really interesting i don't know if this is the same for you tim but a lot of times it's not the affair itself that i see that damages the relationship of clients it's the hiding and the secrecy and everything else that is being withheld that damages the relationship over time. Is that the same thing that you've seen? Yeah, I think so. It's it's the discovery of the affair and recognizing like, oh, I only knew this because I found out, not because my partner was going to tell me about it. And there's an old saying, and I'm sure you've heard it before, but it's not the crime, it's the cover-up. And so the crime is a bad thing in and of itself, but the cover-up is what really tends to get the person who's being cheated on. Because a lot of times then they begin to question, well, was anything in our relationship real or true? And they kind of have this view where it's overgeneralization and that betrayal now overgeneralizes to everything in their relationship. The next section is getting professional help. Now, moving through an affair is a very, very difficult thing. And it's definitely not something that we would recommend trying to do on your own. And on top of that, you don't just want any therapist to help you out with this. You want to find a specific therapist who either has done a lot of work with affairs or specifically specializes in working with affairs. Because the truth is, not all therapists are created equal. Just because we go and we get the same level of education doesn't mean we are competent in all of those areas to work with those people. And so an affair is a very difficult thing to work with. And so even somebody who is like a couples counselor, but they haven't worked much with affairs, there's a lot of things they're not going to be able to know how to do and guide and direct you with. 
because they just haven't experienced it. They know a lot about how to make a relationship healthy, but in order to be able to use the tools that you would learn about how to have the relationship healthy, you have to work through all the emotions first from the affair. And so definitely be careful about your couple's counselor that you're going to find. Make sure that they have a good base knowledge and understanding of affairs. And then the next part I want to talk a little bit about is boot camps. Now, boot camps are a, a great thing. You're generally going to go. There's going to be other couples there who are working through an affair. You're going to get a lot of good information. And then it's also a little bit like an emotional support group. It's like, okay, well, there's other people who have had affairs. Okay, well, there's other people who have been cheated on. And it helps you not to feel so isolated in the world. And so you're going to get a ton of information kind of right out of the gate. You're going to get a lot of emotional support kind of right out of the gate. And so that's going to be generally like it's a weekend or something like that. And then you're going to want to then have additional help regularly throughout the process with that marriage counselor that I was talking about. And then on top of that, you both want to get individual counseling. And individual counseling should look like this. It should be EMDR therapy. Now, EMDR therapy is specifically geared toward helping people cope with huge emotions. Now, going to the boot camp and getting your marriage counselor in order are very good things. But if you want to make this process dramatically easier for you to make it through, both for the person who has had an affair and the person who has been cheated on, you want to get this EMDR therapy to help wane down and kind of help manage and reduce the emotional toll that comes with the affair. And it can really change your whole perspective and experience going through it and just make it so much easier for you. And so make sure you're getting professional help if you found yourself in an affair situation where either you've cheated or your partner's cheated so that you can have the best possibility of making it through this experience whole. So just like Tim started with a story of hope, we want to end on hope and we want to make sure that you know that couples who have experienced an affair have really done the work. They've showed up, they've put in the work, they've put in the effort, the time, the emotions. They often end up being healthier and feeling closer than they did at any other point in their relationship. And it's such an interesting thing to look at and almost counterintuitive to feel like after going through an affair that you feel stronger together as a couple. But it, it happens, and it is such a hopeful thing that I want you to know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. But like we said, it's a long process and it takes work, and there are things that happen along the way and things that you do to get there. But people who have done the work they experience the benefits of that. And so there's an analogy that I think goes really well with this. And it's if you've ever broken a bone and then you've had that bone reset and in a cast, after that bone has fully healed, the part where it actually broke ends up being stronger than the surrounding bone. And your relationship is very much the same way. If you make it through an affair, you can be much stronger on the other side than you were previously. And I think a part of why that is, is because there's so much emotion that goes into when an affair has happened in the relationship that it causes you to see any level of dysfunction or unhealthy relational dynamics. It makes them so untenable to you that you will stay in therapy and you will do work longer than the average couple will who has not had an affair. Because the couple who has not had an affair, they'll get to a point where they're like, you know what, this this is good enough. We, we can stop. I, I don't think we need to continue going on. But when you've had the affair, any problematic things in the relationship, you're like, nope, I'm not ready to be done yet. We need to keep going. We need to work on this. We need to fix this. 
And so those couples end up continuing to push through and push through and push through. And then they just end up working through all of the bad things in their relationship, coming up with solutions and healthy communication and conflict resolution all the way through that process up until the point where they end up becoming pretty much a, a model couple at the end of it. Now, obviously, just like breaking a bone, you wouldn't want to break your bone in order to strengthen your bone. You would never want to have an affair to try to strengthen your relationship. But this is a way to reframe for yourself a different way to look at the affair so that even though it's a tough, unpleasant thing, something great can still come out of this. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening to episode number five, and we look forward to seeing you in the next one. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it helpful, we'd love for you to take some time and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have a question or a topic you'd like discussed in future episodes, visit our Facebook group, Mr. and Mrs. Therapy Podcast, and let us know. Disclaimer, although we are mental health providers, this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide diagnosis or treatment. Please seek professional help if you're struggling with persistent mental health issues, chronic marital issues, or call the National Suicide Hotline at 988 if you are contemplating suicide.